Alright, hello and welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. And ladies and gentlemen, your boy is tired, the, the, the tank is on empty. But you know what, every time I get to turn on this mic and talk about sports, I feel a little bit better. So let's just get this thing going, shall we? I mean, we got a loaded, loaded episode for you today, man. I mean, I got a few updates first and foremost. Then we are getting straight into the combine stuff. It got a little bit more expansive than I uh, intended it to be. So we're going to split it up into two episodes here. One today, one on Tuesday before free agency kicks off. Focusing on the offense today, defense next time around. And I forgot to add stuff in last minute, a Tivoli time typing away here so i got some stuff pulled up on my phone either way let's just get straight into it got a few updates mostly on free agency stuff here let's go and first and foremost franchise tags cuts extensions basically what's going on in the pre-free agency stuff what teams are doing what and uh as you may know if you've followed the news in the past i don't know two days or so things have heated up in a lot of different situations so let's just get straight into it uh this is some old news but i forgot to include it in the last episode senator rodney hudson and uh chosen robbie anderson Change his name to Chosen for some reason, I guess because he's weird. M makes a lot of sense. This is the guy that for a long time, might still honestly, uh, had hair that looked like he just stuck his tongue in a light socket and it just poof, all went out like that with the static electricity. I don't know exactly what's what's going on with him right now, um, but looking to go on a contender. I mean, not the worst thing in the world to not be playing for the Cardinals anymore. So, hey, go ring chasing, my dude. I guess you earned it at this point. Earned a good amount of money at this point. So, might as well just go on and uh, try to win some rings, right? All right. Um, other free agency stuff. This one just came down the, the pipe. Thought it was one that was coming down the pipe, I think, but uh, just got confirmed to you recently. Cornerback Shaquille Griffin of the Jags was released today, so he will be on the free agency market as well. He's probably going to command a pretty high, um, pretty high dollar there in the open market. I think he saved the Jags. 12 million dollars in cap with the cut so made a lot of sense uh at least from the jags point of view but now shaquille griffin again looking for a place to go chase a, chase a ring but how bad is that jag situation that he just left i don't know that might be the best best team in that division for what it's worth it is still a terrible division but one of the better teams in that division so Tough to go there if you're shaquille griffin but i'm sure he'll land on his feet he's still pretty solid uh playing on the outside there and over to the document now. Franchise tags and cuts. Lorenzo Carter. Geez, easy for me to say. Linebacker signs a two-year extension with the Falcons. He had four sacks, one interception, returned for a touchdown in 17 games last season. Did play all 17, uh, which I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing when you only put up like 20-some tackles, but who's to say who's to say two-year extension for him um, is a young player so maybe someone that they see is a guy that they can turn into a real pro bowl level performer I don't know we'll have to see what happens there congrats to Lorenzo Carter on the two-year extension uh, New England will let cornerback uh, Jonathan Jones walk in free agency after deciding against using the franchise on him and I, I don't know about that one chief I I feel like Corners are one of those guys where it's just a no-brainer. You just pay them. And Jonathan Jones was really ascendant last year. A, a name that you probably don't know unless you're either, one, a Patriots fan, two, a wherever he went to a college Jonathan Jones fan, or three, uh, a diehard football fan. One of those three, you probably heard of him. Otherwise, Jonathan Jones sounds like a guy that you meet on the side of the street, but very good cornerback over there. Uh, one of a complement of good young secondary members over there. And I don't know. 
those are guys that you really pay. I, I feel like Jonathan Jones is the type of guy that you pay. I don't know about letting him walk, but it is Bill Belichick. And one thing that he does not do is pay people for the most part. And the one time he did a couple off seasons ago, basically every single guy he signed in the open market was a bust. So can't blame him here. Can't can't blame him for sticking to his roots and uh, not paying people once again. But I don't know about that one. I, I'm always a little bit skeptical about the head coach GM dynamic. You can't always get lucky and draft Tom Brady to make up for some other mistakes. He's been very good at drafting on defense to his credit, but I don't know. It feels like he'd be a little bit more effective at coaching if he just stuck to that. But also he got to this point with six Super Bowls or whatever doing what he's doing. Either way, I don't got time to blow it on all that stuff. This is a packed episode. Uh, Dolphins are releasing cornerback Byron Jones. Not really a surprise given the alarming stuff that has been coming out uh, re- regarding his injury recovery from Achilles surgery. But sad story and a cautionary tale for young players with injuries. Uh, just how his whole thing just unraveled, basically. And in late February, just to get you caught up on this, Jones put out a tweet saying, Saying that he couldn't run or jump because of injuries he had sustained in the course of his career. He implied that team doctors and or training staff, unclear whether it was the Dolphins or Cowboys training staffs, but um, apparently they were more choosing the, uh, the pain management route over further evaluation and likely made the injuries worse than they were already. I think he didn't know that it was an Achilles injury, I suppose, for a while. Again, I well, not again, just iterating here. That's kind of an, an interjection. I don't know if exactly if that is how that, that played out, but either way, we're at this point. Jones says he isn't retiring, but I have a hard time seeing him make another team if he can't run or jump nearly a year post-surgery, and I can't imagine that that situation has changed in the course of a little over a month. So hope for the best for the guy, but again, sad story, cautionary tale. If something doesn't feel right, get a second opinion, don't blindly play through something, or else your career, entire career, could be forfeit. Byron Jones is a cautionary tale. Hopefully he lands on his feet, but you just hate to see uh, this happen at any level, really, but I'll leave it at that. Bucks are releasing right tackle Donovan Smith after eight seasons in Tampa. The team will save $10 million in cap space with the move. Had a down season last year, but I still think he's a damn good add to a team that needs a starting starter right at right tackle. Easy for me to say. He was injured all last season. I think, I mean, he started, what, 100-some games in a row or something like that? Really Iron Man streak sort of shit. And... I feel like he's not that far off. This is a big-time cap move. Don't don't get me wrong there. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for the Bucks, but I think Donovan Smith can step in and start next year and play some really valuable time, maybe even being good enough to make the Pro Bowl if he plays his cards right or the team manages him properly. But yeah, Donovan Smith, another big-time add to the free agency market there out of Tampa. Someone's going to get a good right tackle out of that one. Uh, Lamar Jackson gets the non-exclusive tag. This is the biggest headline of the day. I cannot undersell that. Lamar Jackson getting the non-exclusive tag. What does that mean, you may ask? Well, that means a team could trade for him if they give up two first-rounders and, of course, meet his contract demands. He ain't signing the tender unless he's got a, a, a satisfactory contract offer on the table from someone else, regardless of what they are, they're offering the team. That doesn't mean anything to Lamar Jackson. Um, this is wild. I did not expect this to happen. I have held the line until this point that Lamar Jackson will definitely be in Baltimore, but with that non-exclusive tag, 
this just got interesting, man. And I mean, this is basically over. Two firsts and a contract extension is actually a pretty sweet deal for a former MVP in the prime of his career. I mean, he's younger than me right now. It crazy how much he runway he's still got left in his career. And I would expect the list of bidders to be lengthy, but is that the case? I'm not entirely sure because for some reason teams have been pulling out. Like I know the the Commanders, the Falcons, I want to say the Panthers and one other team that I'm not quite remembering right now pulled out of this one very early said hey we're not interested we're not going to pursue Lamar Jackson I don't know what's up with that um I maybe they maybe they view Lamar Jackson as difficult to negotiate with I could I could see that I suppose but I think it's not as complicated as the Ravens are making it either. And also Lamar Jackson has has to realize that just because the Browns did it doesn't mean that anyone else is going to do it. Not everyone is Jimmy Jimmy and D Haslam that uh, art of the deal. They definitely read that book and took a lot of lessons to heart and uh, not the right lessons. I will, I'll tell you that much, but that is to say he's not getting a fully guaranteed contract at like 250 million or whatever he's looking for right now. He could get over 200. I bet though. I mean, if $250 million contract, you guarantee you guarantee 200 of that. I think that's doable for sure. As long as you're a little bit flexible on that end, but this is not that hard. I think if you got the money, this is not that hard. You acquire Lamar Jackson tomorrow. He's worth two first round picks and whatever the hell you pay him. You pay him the money and you got a franchise quarterback for at least the next five, six years, however long that deal ends up being. So I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong, I am shocked it has gotten to this point and that the Ravens decided to go this route. But I now would be shocked if another team didn't pay the Piper and acquire Lamar Jackson before training camp, maybe even before OTAs, before the draft even would be ideal. The wild card, as always in this situation, is what will Lamar Jackson be asking for in the contract extension and will other teams be willing to fork over the cash? Like I just said there, if he's still looking for a fully guaranteed deal, I'm just not sure that's going to materialize unless he takes a slight pay cut, which he's not going to do, which makes this all the more evident that it's not going to happen, quite frankly. Again, just because Jimmy and D. Haslam did it doesn't mean we are dumb enough to do it ourselves. But I say, in a humble, passionate plea to Quasi Adolfo Mensa, uh, the GM of the Minnesota Vikings, go get him, Quasi. Go get him. We can worry about trading Kirk Cousins later. We can get something out of him. I know the 49ers would love to have Kirk Cousins in the building. They give up on Trey Lance in a heartbeat if they could get that, that mobile white boy in there. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what. Worry about Kirk Cousins later. He's a professional. He'll take this on the chin. He might not love it, but he won't voice it out to the media, and that's all you really need. Crazy. Make it happen. Two first rounders. I don't give a damn about two first round. Give them five first rounders. Don't do that. Give get three first rounders. I'd even say. I mean, if Deshaun again, Jimmy D Haslam, not just because they're dumb enough to do it doesn't mean you should yada yada yada. But still, if they can give up three first rounders for a guy that allegedly sexually assaulted like sixty people. I think you can give up two first rounders and a big time contract, which they gave up a big time contract too, for a guy like Lamar Jackson who hasn't really had any off the field issues outside of trying to jump over a jet ski and failing and playing pickup basketball in his slides. Other other than that, I mean, the guy has a spotless record. He just might be a, a little bit too hard nosed on the negotiating table for the Ravens' uh, interest. But still, 
Again, I'm bloviating too much for how long this episode is, but go get him, Quasi. We can worry about it all later. Just go get him. Um, more QB news. This is more big time. I did not even expect to happen, but, well... We'll get to that in a second. Daniel Jones and the Giants got a deal done at the buzzer, signing a four-year, $160 million. I believe it's like 90-ish million dollars guaranteed. Don't hold me to that. I meant to look it up before this, but I'm a bad podcast host, so I didn't. But much of it is guaranteed. I'm not sure if the guarantees have actually uh, come out yet, but I would imagine it's probably first two years guaranteed, third year option after that, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, I believe, based on its incentives, it can get another $35 million higher, so it could get up, could get up to 195 based on incentives. And conversely, you knew if they were doing one, they weren't probably going to do the other. Uh, Saquon Barkley got the franchise tag and does not exactly seem over the moon about that fact. The two sides will continue to negotiate. Nothing else you can really do because no one's given up two first round picks for uh, a running back. That's just kind of... It's a harsh reality of the modern NFL. That's just not how running backs are valued anymore, unfortunately. So he's going to be a a New York Giant. Um, But if nothing else, the Giants know they've got Saquon in the building no matter what. And you know what? If they don't get a deal done, so be it. And if they don't, I wouldn't expect Saquon to show up into training camp. I wouldn't call it a holdout holdout necessarily, but he doesn't have to sign that thing. They can't find him if he doesn't sign it. Might as well sit out for as long as he can. To be fair, to play devil's advocate here, on the other side of things... Does it generally seem to correlate more with injuries throughout the season? Sure. To play devil's advocate on the other side again, maybe that's a business decision. Also, sure. Either way, we're getting too far down the rabbit hole here. Saquon Barkley will be, uh, both Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones will both be uh, New York Giants next year, which is a big win for the franchise. Now they can focus on the draft and getting all the weapons they can find in the draft this year in the receiving core. I'll be interested to see what they do with their draft position. It's not as high as many, well, many, just me and, you know, a couple other people. I won't throw myself too much under the bus. Uh, We're thinking about where they were going to be in the draft, but still good draft capital this year and they can make something happen with it. I feel I got, I got, I got faith in Joe Shane and Brian Dayball over there. uh, No matter what, maybe not no matter what, but you understand. Uh, Some more news off the phone here. KJ Osborne saved a guy's life. That's wild. Uh, If you didn't, if you didn't see this, can't blame you if you're not, you know, looped into the Viking stuff, but also Adam Schefter picked up on this one too. But I guess KJ Osborne was in an Uber down in Austin, Texas. I don't know if they saw someone run off the road in real time or if they just saw the accident, but pulled over, pulled the guy out of the car. There might have been multiple people in the car. Forgive me for not having the exact details here, but pulled him out of the car, uh, saved the guy's life pretty much because I think the car caught on fire shortly thereafter. And yeah, I think they're getting connected and whatnot. They're going to meet. I mean, that's just a wild story. KJ Osborne, these are the types of dudes that come to Minnesota and become a Viking, man. I mean, just special people over there in Minneapolis. Come on over if you're a free agent. Um, Other than that, different Vikings news. More weird and hilarious than anything else. Hilarious based on your point of view. I I thought it was pretty funny from a Tark's perspective. But um, in the words of Kirk Cousins on stage at some strange evangelical event with the voice of God being Frank Reich in the background on the, on the Zoom phone call. 
Uh, I quote, DeMar Hamlin was brought back to life, but he will die. And I don't know what the context of that quote was. You can go look it up. The video is on Twitter. It's one of the funnier things I have seen. Just, I mean, there's got to be a good... I would imagine it's in the context of when he dies, he did so many good things in life, he will go to heaven. And that's why he had a faith in God or, or whatever those those people believe uh, in there. <laughs> but the lack of context... The, the six-second TikTok clip of just... Damar Hamlin was brought back to life, but he will die. I mean, one of the funnier things I've ever heard, uh, very on brand for Kirk Cousins, super nice guy, but you know, likes Jesus a lot. Doesn't like when you tell him what to do on a lot of things. And I, I understand that. I don't like when people tell me what to do either, Kirk. So you just keep being you. Um, I'll keep feeling free to to laugh my ass off when it, when it suits me here. Um, outside of that though, I think we are done with, oh, whew almost skirted on by this and just nestled in there next to the next segment here. How could I forget? Lamar Jackson somehow overshadowed this, but Lamar, Lamar Jackson, I almost said Lamar Jackson twice. Uh, Aaron Rodgers quietly visits with the Jets. I don't know if he went to New York and then went back to California and they came to California or if they all just came to California, but the whole brain trust is there. Uh, everyone, I think head coach, offensive coordinator, um, well, I, that's that's a bit of a, a reach for me. I, I would assume they brought Nathaniel Hackett because why else would they bring in Nathaniel Hackett if not to woo Aaron Rodgers over to New York in the in the in the event that he eventually became available? But he was given permission to speak with the Jets. The Jets flew over to California to meet with him, ownership, head coach, GM. I would assume Nathaniel Hackett found his way in there somewhere, but all the all the major brain trust is over there. I think probably still over there in California right now, seeing what they can do with Aaron Rodgers, probably in pseudo-contract talks, because here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's pretty much up to Aaron Rodgers what happens here. I think the Packers, I've said before, if it were up to me, I would trade Aaron Rodgers, get as much out of him as you can draft capital-wise, and see what I can do with Jordan Love before I have to give him up in free agency without seeing a damn thing from him, pretty much. And... I think the the Packers probably view it a little bit differently. They've they've worked with Aaron Rodgers for a while. I think rightly it's it's pretty much hey, it's up to Aaron Rodgers at this point if he wants to stay, cool. If he wants to retire, that's not going to happen. But if he wants to retire, good, good for him. He can do that. And if he wants to go to a different team, all right. You you have permission to talk to that team and we can come to terms. Um I think if they're letting him talk to other teams though and he is Talking to other teams, it means that it's probably over with the Packers. It's just not strategically advantageous to come out and make an announcement like that until you have a deal in place. So it looks like Aaron Rodgers is going to end up going to the Jets unless something weird, crazy happens here in the last second. And I'm really excited to see from both perspectives. I think this makes immediately makes the Jets maybe the best roster in in the AFC East. I mean, the the Bills will have something to say, but that defense, the secondary in particular, has been looking a little bit lackluster of late for the Bills. And I'll tell you what, the Jets have the best defense in the entire division. They've got great offensive. When Brees Hall comes back and he's back to full speed, that is a dangerous set of offensive weapons between him, Uzama, 
Garrett Wilson, by God, he might be one of the the he might be one of the five best receivers in the league next next season for all I know. He was so damn good in his first year with basically like 11 games of real great production. And who's who's to say that's with bad QB play too. Who's to say what he does when Aaron Rodgers is his quarterback? I'm excited to see this from a Jets perspective and from a Packers perspective. I said it already in the brief like couple not a couple snap. I mean it was like a whole half of play pretty much from Jordan Love. He's got a cannon for an arm he's more accurate than he has been in previous years granted on small sample size i think against the seahawks too so not a great secondary at the time so take that with a grain of salt but he made decisive decisions kind of redundant there but you understand what i'm saying he looked like a better quarterback than he has in the first couple years of his career i'm very interested to see what he can do in that offense with those receivers i think they probably end up adding one or two more guys in in either free agency or the draft but this is this is going to be a very interesting situation i think a, a lot of people would think oh the packers are going for a reset here i do not necessarily think that i think very highly of jordan love i don't know how necessarily good he's going to be in a in a whole lot of action i think he might end up being very good but i'm very i, I got to say very interested but i really really want to see what he looks like after all this time sat behind Aaron Rodgers, because you all have to, you all have to realize by this point, they just did the exact same thing to Aaron Rodgers that they did with Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers was just a little bit more cordial about it, so it didn't get messy there at the end for for the most part. You, you, you. I don't have to relitigate the history. You guys know that by now. But I think this is probably best for both sides. You got to see what you have in, in Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers wants to go, maybe go win a Super Bowl. I know in the AFC, it's going to be a little bit harder path, but change of scenery, very good weapons. I think that, that, that team was pretty much just a quarterback away from being a real contender. So I'm interested to see this from both sides. Either way, I have to stop talking in circles because we have a combine wrap up to get to. On the offensive side of the ball, I swallowed that burp. You guys should be proud of me. All right, so I went back and looked a little bit at last year's edition. I had to go into the, the deep bowels of the old computer there. Wasn't pretty. Still very slow, very old, needs a new laptop battery, but it still is kicking, man. It did when it when I turn it on, by God, it's there with the login screen, I'll tell you. But I went back there, got the uh, the episode from last year in the outline. Didn't go that deep on the uh, the, the all Al Davis team last year, which will return this year. I mean, truly, it, it, that was basically all it was last year was the all Al Davis team of uh, physical freaks that I saw in the draft last year. But I've expanded it. I would say slightly, but extensively this year, uh, kind of undertook this without understanding just how much uh, I would be going through. But yes, we'll talk about the athletic freaks, but I want to go a lot deeper pretty much and highlight who I think turned heads at the combine in each category. I'm talking every position group out outside of the punters and and kickers i mean who who cares pretty much who who cares at all in there but i mean i'm talking quarterbacks i'm talking wide receivers i'm talking running backs i'm talking uh offensive linemen to a certain extent not much but it's there tight ends oh we'll talk about the tight ends there you salty son of a bitch but let's get into this thing starting with the quarterbacks and oh by the way 
you know, going back here a little bit. Uh, yeah, again, just to reiterate, doing the offense today, doing the defense on Tuesday, it'll give me something to do on that day outside of list some headlines. So let's get into it, though, because we're going to be running up on like a two hour episode if I keep talking in circles here. Quarterbacks, where the hell else would we start? Anthony Richardson, uh, starting from the top here. I mean, I'm basically going down the, uh, Maybe not the recruiting rankings, but this is buzz rankings, at least for the quarterbacks here. We'll start with Anthony Richardson. It's not like he did anything unexpected for those who watched him in college and understood what he was. But these NFL guys, I mean, they won't believe shit until you you put the numbers in front of them and they see it with their own eyes. So naturally, Richardson shot up draft boards this week based on the, I mean, I can't even deny, crazy Looney Tunes. I mean, these are like like athletic linebacker sort of numbers uh, I'm about to lay out for you. 40 time uh, and 10 yard split, 4-4-3, which was the best in comp, not the best in combine, it almost went over the top there, but best in this combine, 4-4-3 in the 40, 1-5-3 split, that was third. Also, the 10 yard split, if you didn't know, is just the first 10 yards. It's a, it's a measure of how quick they get up to speed, pretty much, uh, how fast do they get off the ball, uh, is what you're really trying to find out there with that 10 yard split. He was third in that uh, when it was all said and done. Broad jump, 10-9. That's a combine record for QBs. Vertical leap, 40 and a half inches. Combine record again for QBs. Does that mean a damn thing? Um, in the grand scheme of things, no, but it tells you a, a lot like the Jalen Hurts squatting thing. Good guy to have in a scrum, a, a good guy that can move the pile, I suppose, if nothing else. I mean, explosive, 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 in addition to that 4-4-3-40, and that is ridiculous. Uh, the bench... <laughs> Yeah, they didn't do that. They don't make the QBs go through that pointless charade. Uh, none of this stuff is actually important to me, though, because, again, everyone who watches SEC football knew this. They, they knew this going into the draft, and they knew this was going to happen. I, I was more thinking Will Levis would be the one because I didn't quite think of Anthony Richardson initially coming in. But you watch him play, and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's, a guy that, that, that's a guy that people are going to fall in love with when they see what he does at the Combine. I believe it was Daniel Jeremiah in particular said some teams were saying it was one of the, maybe it was Ian Rappaport. I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong insider here. I think it was actually Ian Rappaport. They're saying it was one of the best interviews they'd done with a QB ever, really. Not, not just in this combine, just ever. That Apparently, he's been very, very impressive in the meetings. And while that doesn't change the things he needs to work on in his throwing mechanics, he's inconsistent with that. I mean, there's a reason he threw for just under 54% uh, in completion percentage. It's because he missed guys high over the middle sometimes. He was, he was spotty with accuracy. Sometimes he'd be spectacular with it. Sometimes it would just sail on him. That's all mechanical stuff, and I'm not enough of a QB guru to tell him exactly what it is. So... I will leave that to the, the, the team he goes to uh, to do what they will with them. What the interview tells me, though, uh, is that he likely has the motivation, intellectual horsepower to actually fix those things that are wrong with his mechanics in the long term, hopefully quicker uh, rather than on the slower end of the spectrum. It's going to complicate some things, though, with this performance because I still think he need, needs a year to sit and improve in the shadows. But quite honestly, this combine performance uh, likely put him in the top five in the in the draft, in all likelihood, for a team that will probably start him day one because there's not really, 
Uh, the Seahawks are up there, I think, and they just signed Geno Smith to a three-year extension. Again, it might be an option after the second year. I don't know, quite frankly, but that's the only team I can think of that would actually sit him down and develop him for a little bit. If the Texans pulled the trigger, I, I worry about Anthony Richardson's long-term career prospects. The bright side is none of the other situations are really terrible at the top. So I have I have faith that he will figure it out. It's going to be rough in the beginning. He's not going to have a good rookie year unless I'm just sorely mistaken and whoever gets him is just an offensive guru that can just build around his strengths. Because he does have insane athletic ability. He can really... He can control an offense with his legs. You can do kind of like what the Ravens did initially with Lamar Jackson, kind of ease him into it. Hell, Shane Steichen, if he goes to the Colts, just did it beautifully with Jalen Hurts. Built an offense around him last year, uh, enhanced that offense this year to continue to accentuate what he does well. If he goes to the Colts, I got no no question marks whatsoever. I think they're going to figure that out. Might not look pretty initially, but if he can find a way to make it down to number five, the Seattle Seahawks, perfect landing spot for Anthony Richardson right now. I don't know what they're going to do with the, the Geno contract. Geno will start at least a season, though, and he'll have time to sit back and improve under a solid offensive talent, offensive talented staff uh, led by Shane Waldron, almost said Shane Steichen. He's the head coach of the Colts now. He's not with the Seahawks or, or the Eagles anymore, for that matter. But Shane Waldron, Granted, you have a defensive head coach dilemma there, so the offensive coordinator is going to be a revolving door. Shane Steichen's only a rental here, and we all know that. But that first year to sit there is the most important thing he needs. If he sits a year, he might be one of the best quarterbacks in the league uh, the very next season. He, He is that special of an athlete, but he needs the time to sit Feels like Anthony Richardson is in for a wild draft night, though. That'll be the story of the top five, or if he if he falls out of five, I cannot imagine he falls past five, but if he falls out of there, who who between six and ten comes and gets him? Because someone is going to take him. He's not going to get out of the top ten. He probably won't get out of the top five. That's going to be the story at the top of the draft um, outside of what what happens with Jalen Carter and how far, how far does he fall. We'll get to that next week, though. Up next, we got Bryce Young. Biggest news that came out of the combine for Young is that he absolutely just yugged a gallon of water right before he stepped on the scale, crested that 200-pound uh, threshold. I think he was 204 at 5'10 for probably the first time in his entire life. I cannot imagine Bryce Young has ever been above 200 pounds, and I don't know if he ever will be above 200 pounds, quite frankly, on a playing weight basis, and I assume he immediately pissed that weight directly uh, into the toilet after the weight weigh-in happened. No way he kept that weight on for long, because he must have drank so much water. Officially, though, he's 5'10", 204 pounds, pretty much where we expected him to be height-wise, some people were surprised at 5'10". Was someone telling you six foot? Because, I don't know, you can look at a picture and tell he's not six foot. So, I don't know. That's on you if you were surprised by 5'10". I don't think that's going to affect his draft stock because the smart people already knew that. Uh, it is admittedly dumb, though, but the combine is eye candy for the mentally deficient. So, I think this will bear out. The weight will alleviate some size concerns for some of the more gullible scouts and analysts out there. I guarantee you someone looked at that weight and was like oh yeah 
Oh yeah, 200 pounds, he'll survive in the NFL. That that extra couple, I mean, that two to start his weight really makes me feel good about what his uh, NFL prospects are going to be. Never mind that he's never going to be that weight again, pretty much. Uh, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. He was like 190-something, I believe. He wasn't that far off it, but... I don't know. He's never going to be that far over 200 pounds. Maybe his playing weight long-term is like 204. That was water weight for the most part, though. But someone's going to be enamored with it. Honestly, though, I believe I made mention of it last week. If I didn't, I'll tell you here. I've started to hear some really promising things from analysts I trust a lot, like the smart people in football uh, that are saying Bryce Young is very good at throwing over the middle. Much better than you would expect, and one of the better in the draft at throwing over the middle Mina Kimes in particular, I'll just name names, has studied his college film in in depth and noted that he finds throwing lanes and completes balls over the middle at a better rate than you would expect for his size. And that's really all I needed to know. Outside of the the size is what it is. I mean, the the slight frame, you're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to make him that much bigger to a point where he can't just get absolutely ragdolled. But I think he's smart enough to avoid a lot of that. And I think he is good enough at maneuvering in the pocket to create, and maybe not create, but find lanes where he can throw across the middle. He's not going to be like a Russell Wilson and just completely avoid it over the middle uh, like he has for most of his career. They just kind of caught on to it uh, later in, in his career. But that's very promising for me. That is a particularly noteworthy observation because Bama has an NFL-sized offensive line, too. So he's not in the height department, not going to be a whole lot difference between what he had at the NFL uh, in the to what he had in the college. That's English I just said right there, but fairly transferable skill set uh, to the next level. I feel very, very good about that. Uh, he's going to have to be very strategic to avoid big hits in and out of the pocket. He should not be running uh, for yards. He should be running for get as much as I can and don't get killed on the way out of bounds. That's what he needs to, to do. Um, but he's the most mentally polished quarterback in the draft, and he's maybe the most accurate passer in the draft as well. So, so long as he can mm, complete those passes over the middle in the NFL and not just black out, see red, like I've talked about before with Tua, and just you know run his face into a linebacker and get another concussion, I got no problem with someone taking him top three when it's all said and done. He might go number one overall. Uh, if someone trades up to number one, he's going to go number one overall. So I I, I I'm not too I, I'm not too um. What's the word? I wouldn't be too upset to see him go at that top spot. I'm still personally a C.J. Stroud guy, but really just your flavor that you're you're into, basically. But there's valid reason to argue for either or here, so I wouldn't, wouldn't fault you if you want to take Bryce Young right at that top spot. Up next, we got C.J. Stroud, and I'm going to keep this one brief. Um, we really didn't learn anything. Uh, didn't didn't. I mean, he did throw. That's the one thing he did do. Uh, did interview. So the teams got to know him a little bit. Uh, that's the important part. They 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 got the important parts. Us as fans, we just watched the eye candy pretty much and watched the big athletes run fast. Um, outside of that, we didn't really learn anything. He showed up. He threw. He interviewed. Don't think it helped, but it certainly didn't hurt things, and that's all you really needed. He'll still find himself in that top five range come draft day. I'd be shocked if he dropped out of the top five. Someone's going to take him up there just because if for no other reason, there is a lack of supply at quarterbacks in this draft and you got to, you got to get them while they're hot and you got to get them early. If you want one, otherwise you're going to be left out in the cold 
moving back to take one late in the first round if you take one at all in this draft. So CJ Stroud still probably a top five pick. Um, Will Levis, same as CJ Stroud, honestly, outside of looking absolutely yoked out of his mind. Uh, one of the most jacked quarterbacks I've seen in quite some time. Uh, it wild, wild amount of muscles on this guy, uh, in that tight little combine compression gear, didn't run a 40, but did finish second in the broad jump among QBs at 10, four for whatever that's worth. Um, he's an athlete that needs development, uh, and would benefit from slightly better offensive line play than what he had at Kentucky last season. If this were the the 2000 NFL draft, he'd be the number one overall pick, man. I mean, look at this guy. Big old white guy like that can move, can can throw a, a pretty deep ball. No question he'd be the number one overall pick back in the day, but this is 2023 and we've progressed a little bit uh, as a scouting public here. But since this is 2023, I think he falls somewhere in the 5 to 10 range. I think he does that end up dropping out of the top five. Um, also, wouldn't be shocked if he still went in the top five because he is um, one of only a few quarterbacks in this draft. So definitely not falling out of the top 10. Still could be a top five pick. I don't really know either way. Didn't do anything. Didn't hurt him. Didn't help him. Pretty much right where he was when he went to the draft. Uh, and in our mind, we didn't, we were not sitting in on any of the interviews, so we don't know personally how these teams have felt better or worse, or worse about them after that uh, that whole process. But I digress. Under the radar, guys, guys that you probably have heard of if you're paying attention to college football, but a lot of draft scouts are ranking them a little bit lower. Max Duggan, first off, hey. I knew Dougie had some wheels on him. I mean, you could see him moving. You could see him get some yards uh, in that offense past couple of years, really. But four, five, two, my God. I mean, that that isn't just sneaky fast. That's real tangible speed from the ginger white boy from Iowa. I mean, shout out. That's a better 40 time than eight of the corners who ran. And I'll go even deeper. It was faster than 18 wide receivers, seven running backs, and every single tight end who ran the 40 as well. That is legit speed from Max Duggan. Maybe it's just track speed. Maybe it doesn't quite translate over to the football field, but you, you ran it once. That's how teams are going to view you. I mean, this is in some ways, a very smart industry. Some ways, kind of a dumb industry. That's one of the dumb ones. I mean, you just basically trust the combine number there. So he's a four-five-two running quarterback. There are the obvious questions about his NFL preparedness and that spread system. Pretty much every analyst I trust who's talked about that says it's not an NFL system. It is a Big 12 system, so that, that's kind of what you can expect from there. Um, arm strength concerns. Maybe he doesn't have the uh, the rocket arm that some of the other guys did. Uh, and a low level of defensive competition there in the Big 12. I think there's only been like three corners drafted in the last like decade in the Big 12. Uh, and that's a, that's a real fact. You can go look that up. But... He showed his elusiveness in extending plays with his legs, and I think in the right situation, he can just sit back and prove behind the starter, eventually take the reins when he gets a shot. Probably a day two guy, unless someone at the back end of the first round really likes him. But I think he's going to end up, uh, who's to say? If he goes to the right situation, doesn't get forced into the lineup too early, could end up being a solid pro, but that's that's true for a lot of these guys. Situation is everything uh, when you're a mid-round draft pick. Another under-the-radar guy, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR. Admittedly, he is thin. I mean, he weighed in at less than Bryce Young, and he's 
what, four inches taller, 6'2", 203. But he's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in this draft. Five years of starts under his belt. Granted, one of them you can just kind of count it as a half year because it was the COVID year and it was all weird stuff. But still, five years uh, with that extra COVID year of eligibility to go out there and start. And I'm not a, a scout, but the thing I always like to see from players coming out, and it's the reason why I was high on Dak coming out, is steady improvement. And that's something that DTR had every single year at UCLA. Every year that he played, he set an efficiency mark um, that was better than the previous year. Better QB rating every single year that he played. Every season he had was his best one to that point. Only down year numbers-wise was the COVID year with an abbreviated season. And he was under a former NFL coach, people forget, in Chip Kelly, and has fantastic athletic measurables. 4-5-6 in the 40, 1-5-1 uh, split, which tied him for first among quarterbacks. 10-1 um, ten, uh, ten broad jump. Easy for me to get out there. Great athletic measurables. He can put on lean weight at the next level as well. I got no concerns about that. I think he put put on 10, 15 pounds if he really needs to. I think he probably slips out of the first round, quite honestly, unless he sneaks into the back end. But immunity. But some team is going to get a pleasant surprise drafting DTR on day two. I doubt he makes it to day three. And I apologize for Josh Pate for taking his uh, his immunity joke, but that was just too much of a that's what she said joke for me to not say it quite frankly so I apologize I plagiarized and I will I will flog myself later with a flail uh just to just to appease the the gods above um either way moving on from that another under the radar guy Stetson Bennett candidly there's nothing really special about Stetson Bennett's athletic profile profile 511 uh short arms 192 does have 10-inch hands, dinner plate hands, big boy hands. But, you know, outside of that, I mean, not an athletic profile that's going to floor you, quite frankly. With that said, though, he's going to be given a lot of time to sit and learn uh, the NFL game as a backup. I don't think he's going to be drafted before day three, quite honestly. He may bounce around for a bit, and it may take an injury ahead of him to get his chance, but he's got all the intangibles that you could want from a leadership, work ethic perspective. I mean, there's a reason. I did not think he was straight up not good when he first started uh, like starting at the University of Georgia. He turned himself into one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, one of the best quarterbacks in the country at that when it was all said and done, really improved his deep ball, improved his running ability to an extent that I did not think was possible. So who's to say he can't do that at the next level? He's a day three guy in all likelihood, but he's got a damn good deep ball and all the confidence in the world. I would not be shocked at all if he built a solid career at the NFL level. He just did it in college after I doubted the hell out of him. So who's to say... He can't do it once again against all the odds. The NFL has eaten up stories like this for breakfast, though. So no guarantees there. Probably a day three guy. Uh, last under-the-radar guy I've got, and I've got a bunch of under-the-radar guys, I guess, but Hendon Hooker didn't work out given his ACL recovery. Uh, and I think right or wrong, that'll move him down some boards. I mean, it's, it's 2023. The ACL recoveries are better than they've ever been. Players always seem to come back without giant long-term ramifications when it's all said and done. So I got faith that he's going to come back and be very, very good eventually. Who's to say he'll he'll do it right away? But eventually he'll be all good. 
But I absolutely think Hendon Hooker is going to start somewhere in the next season or so. I don't think he starts next season, but the season after, I think 100% he's going to end up starting. A lot like Max Duggan, could sneak into the back end of the first round, but likely a day two guy if I had to venture a guess. A guy that I would want on my team, though. I thought before he got that injury... I thought he was the best player in college football. I would have taken him number one overall with the with the measurables he's got. Being 6'4", can run. Maybe not quite the Anthony Richardson mold, but more polished than Anthony Richardson. Showed market improvement when he came to Josh Heupel. Uh, like, I think basically every QB from now until the end of time and until the end of Josh Heupel's uh, career as a head coach is going to have over there. But... I, I like Hendon Hooker no matter where he goes, no matter what round. I, I'm going to be very interested to see where he ends up. Fingers crossed, maybe it's with the Vikings if we don't somehow go and get Lamar Jackson when it's all said and done. Moving on, we have got the wide receivers next, though. And sorry, sorry, sorry for how lengthy that was. I mean, I got like nine quarterbacks there, by God. But I had to go extra in-depth for the QBs because they're always the guys who get the most attention. So have at it there. I'll be a little bit more brief with the rest of the categories Maybe not, though. We'll see. Um, fastest 40 among the wide receivers, I, I guess. I had to put him in here because I'm not going to talk him, talk about him any other time, but uh, Nebraska wide receiver Trey Palmer, 4-3-3. Snaps, congratulations. You, you did a good job there, bud. You, you ran really well. Um, Marvin Mims at, from Oklahoma, Bryce Ford Wheaton of West Virginia, Matt Landers of Arkansas, and Darius Davis of TCU uh, all ran under 4-4 as well. 17 other wide receivers uh, ran between a 4-4 or 4-0 and a 4-4-9. Um, good numbers there. I'm not really sure why I added that, but it is what it is. I didn't do that on any other section. So there you have it. A lot of fast wide receivers in this draft. I mean, 20-some guys under four five so good for them i suppose but first actual wide receiver moving down the draft board here quentin johnson number one ranked guy in this draft right now didn't run the 40 i hope he does it his pro day though because i think he's even faster than people expect i think he might crack into the four threes he posted elite at he elite numbers in the jumping categories however 40 and a half inch vertical that's third third among the wide receivers 11-2 broad jump which tied him for second there have been questions raised about how smoothly he can get in and out of breaks and the inherent lack of com of competition at cornerback in the, in the big 12 I meaning he sunned every single one that got in front of him but not great competition over there not a lot of guys you're going to see opposite of you playing on Sundays but even with that swirling around I have a hard time seeing him make it out of the top 10 he's just too talented to let get out of there someone's going to see him and be like we can fix all the things that are wrong with his technique right now we can do this and again hoping he runs the 40 at his pro day to see what kind of Looney Tunes number he can truly put up and also hoping he does some agility stuff like the three cone just to get an idea of his change of direction and, and what he can do in that category. But it'd be strategic for him not to if though he knows those numbers won't be good. So we'll see what happens there. If he does run in the low 4.4s or high 4.3s at his pro day, I think he is a lock in the top 10. I don't think top 5, too many, not enough quarterbacks rather, uh, for the, him to go in the top 5. They're going to be going early and often, and the teams that might have to spend a little bit too much to go and get them. So 
He's going to be in the top 10, though, if he runs well at his pro day. I will guarantee you that. Uh, up next, we got Jordan Addison, uh, USC wide receiver. Addison is one of, if not the most polished receiver, re- most polished receiver in this draft. Just channeling my channeling my Sean Connery. Hopefully, I don't start hitting women. Uh, he won the Bolitnikoff Award, not Sean Connery. I'm talking about Jordan Addison now. Won the Bolitnikoff Award in 2021 at Pitt with Kenny Pickett throwing him passes. Then decided not going to stay around for whoever's next at Pitt uh, to throw me passes. No guarantee that guy is going to be good. So I'm going to go across the country, uh, go go to a guy named Lincoln Riley who can really accentuate my talents. Had a solid 2022 season at USC with Caleb Williams. Basically, teams just needed to, to see decent athletic numbers at the combine, and he was all good. Bit of a mixed bag, though. Kind of underwhelmed, quite frankly. 4-4-9 in the 40, though, which which is fine. 1-5-6, 10-yard uh, split, though, which bottom end of the wide receivers, uh, 34-inch vertical, which was near the bottom as well, and a 10-2 broad jump, which again was towards the bottom. Not not a fantastic showing uh, from Addison at the combine, frankly. He got very good tape, though, so I think he drops a bit based on the measurables that he put out there, but still, ultimately, I think he goes in the first round. Wouldn't hate him going to the Vikings, quite frankly. Very polished guy, a guy that we could use out there, especially with... I mean, we haven't cut Adam Thielen yet, which could be good news, could be just delaying the inevitable. But I'm assuming that we're not going to have Adam Thielen there anymore. Addison would not be a guy that I would hate. Um, that being said, we need to draft a cornerback. So, so I do hope we draft a cornerback. But if we don't draft a cornerback, would not hate taking Addison in that first round. That's kind of the range I think he goes, though. They're in the, the 20s, maybe the, the late teens. I don't see him cracking into the top end of the draft, though. Um, up next, we have got the enigmatic, the... Um, Quick as hell, Jackson Smith in Jigba, Ohio State wide receiver. You may remember him going for like 300 yards in one game. I believe that was against Michigan too. So high leverage game that he went for like 300 yards in uh, as well. Didn't run the 40, which is still the biggest question mark for scouts from what I understand, uh, and had an average or below average set of numbers in the vertical at 35 inches in the broad jump at 10.5. But elite and I mean elite quickness numbers in the three cone and 20 yard short shuttle six five seven in the three cone which doesn't mean a whole lot to you but three nine three in the short shuttle also doesn't mean a whole lot to you what you need to know is both of those blew the competition out of the water I mean when you're talking fractions of the second I mean he was beating them by whole tenths which is big time big I mean he's way quicker than everyone else out there which is what that means only guy that I think went under four in the short shuttle at 3.93. He's a precise route runner and an elite quickness. That elite quickness will create even more separation, even more so than raw speed will. I think he really helped himself with the combine, even without running. He showed you why he is still a top end of the first round guy. I think there's a good chance that, that Jackson Smith and Jigba will go in the top half of the first round. I doubt he cracks the top 10, however, unless he unless he runs very well at his pro day. And there's no guarantee that he actually runs at his pro day, though I would, I would advise it just to see what he can do. 
It can hurt him, but it could also help him as well. So I don't know. A bit of a strategic decision there. I'm not in the camp, but I'd love to see him run, quite frankly. I'd, I'd love to see what's in the tank. He is so quick, though. So I think he's got a very bright future at the NFL level. Uh, up next, Trey Flowers from Boston College. Not really sure if Flowers helped uh, or hurt his stock at the Combine. He ran like a 4-4-2, which is solid, but was otherwise fairly average. Admittedly, I'm unfamiliar with Flowers' game, but back into the first round, uh, was his projection coming in? Can't imagine that was changed by anything that happened at the Combine. Also, um, if you're wondering where Kayshawn Boutte was, said he was going to run a 4-3, said he was like Stefan Diggs. Um, also jumped about the same vertical as me back in high school like 29 inches and um also ran like a four five which not bad but there were like 20 wide receivers ahead of him certainly wasn't a four three if it was he'd be like top five in the draft as far as uh the speed is concerned but um I'm gonna leave him alone I think he had a bad enough combine I think he's gonna try and redeem himself at the pro day so I'll, I'll leave that where it is for now. Under the radar, guys, guys that were out of that top five, out of that first round range that I think could really shoot up some people's boards after this combine, I'm really just overall. First off, this was a combine shoot upper. Bryce Ford Wheaton, a shoo-in for the All Al Davis team. You can you can guarantee that he's going to be back at the end of this episode. I assure you, the production wasn't there in college, quite frankly, but his measurables are insane. Get a load of this shit. RIP to that segment. Six foot four, 221 pounds, runs a 438 in the 40 yard, 40 yard dash. Fourth among wide receivers, 41 inch verticals. That was tied for the first 10 9 broad jump as well. Probably a day day two or three guy based off of production. Seems like a big time straight line guy, but with that athletic profile, Lord help the rest of the league if he goes to Kansas City or a similarly offensive uh, powerhouse. Uh, cancel Christmas if he goes to KC. That is not someone that we want running go balls for Patrick Mahomes if we want anyone else besides the Chiefs to come out of the AFC ever again. But Bryce Ford Wheaton, remember that name? He's going to really shoot up some people's boards and I think surprise some people. with Based on what he came in with, draft... Uh, Draft expectation-wise, I think he's going to end up being a, 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 a... I don't think he ends up going in, in day three, but I think he ends up being a top half of the draft sort of guy, maybe mid, uh, early fourth round, uh, third round type of guy. We'll have to wait and see. Next guy on the under the radar, Josh Downs of North Carolina. A guy that I don't think is getting enough attention thus far, quite frankly. He is kind of small, admittedly, but... He was the entire passing game for the Tar Heels when he was on the field this past season. And granted, not a defensive powerhouse conference in the ACC, but he was amazing. And Drake May leaned on downs to make plays more than just about anyone else in that offense last season. And yes, it was against ACC competition, but he basically did the same exact thing with Sam Howell the year before. No drop-off at all, if not an, even an uptick coming in with Drake May, definitely on the, the smaller side at, at 5'9", 171, but solid 40 time at 4'48", elite 10-yard split at 149, which tied him for third among the wide receivers, and an above-average broad jump in vertical, 10'11", in the broad jump, 38.5-inch vertical, respectively. I'd like to get some quickness numbers at his pro day, quite frankly, but even without those, 
I really like Downs as a prospect based on the steady, high-level production with different starting quarterbacks. Probably a day-two pick if I had to guess, but I think someone is going to get a steal with that pick. Maybe could even sneak into the first round. I don't know. I really like Josh Downs. He was one of the, the guys that I was very impressed with. Over the last couple years with what he's been able to do, uh, the commies are already deep at wide receiver. Don't be shocked, though, if they reunite Sam Howell and Josh Downs in Washington. That would not be something that would floor me at all. I think he, he's going to go earlier than some people may expect, I believe. Watch, he's going to go undrafted. Some team's going to get a steal with that undrafted, though, but I'm going to look like an absolute clown in the meantime. But there it is for the wide receivers. Let's move on to the running backs. And first off, we have got, if you haven't been paying attention to the running back draft rankings, the talk of the draft right now, Bijan Robinson, and for good reasons. Robin has been Robinson rather has been touted as maybe the best running back prospect to come out since Saquon Barkley. And as long as he didn't have a, a bad performance at the combine, that was still going to be the case. And he did not have a bad time at all. That uh, an elite time even. 446 in the 40 talking about times there that was tied for 6 152 in the 10 yard split that tied him for third very good acceleration very good speed 37 inch vertical tied for fifth and a 10-4 broad jump that tied him for fourth among running backs wasn't top in anything but was top five in basically everything except the 40 and was still very good in the 40 faster than Jordan Addison quite frankly so not bad at all and might not be quite freakish enough to make the all Al Davis team, just barely on the borderline there. But it's certainly enough to maintain how scouts perceive him as being a borderline top 10 pick, quite frankly. He will go in the top half of the first round. The question for me is, will he sneak into the top 10? Quite the philosophical question in the modern NFL, but for a guy with Robinson's talent and explosive ability that just jumped off the page when you watched him when you watched him in college, I would not be shocked at all if one of those last three in the top ten pulled the trigger. Specifically, if the Philadelphia Eagles took Robinson in the first round at top ten, at, at ten rather, good lord and good luck to the NFC East. That offense would be unstoppable. No way you can stop Bijan Robinson in that stable of backs. Because I don't think maybe they let Miles Sanders go. You don't really pay free agent running backs in this market, though. So I, I guess they'll probably let him go. But Bijan Robinson, if he goes to cancel Christmas, if he goes to Philly, good luck to everybody else in the NFC. Oh, wait, the Vikings are in the NFC. Damn it. Either way, once Richardson goes off the board. This is the next guy I'm watching to see where he lands. Instant game changer on offense, as long as the offensive line isn't a total disaster in front of him. If he goes to the right spot, if he goes to Carolina, if if all the quarterback market has dried up by the time it gets to Carolina there, that is going to be an elite running game. Pretty much no matter where he goes, as long as the, the offensive line is good. Talking in circles now, so let's get on to the next guy. Very interested to see where B. John Robinson goes. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, running back at Alabama. Uh, Jameer Gibbs flashed that elite speed with a 4-3-6 in the 40-yard dash, but this is something we already knew, quite frankly. So, much like Robinson, I don't think we're, the needle really moved so much on uh, Jameer Gibbs and his combine performance. His pass-catching ability out of the backfield will be intriguing for many teams, but will that plus uh, the speed be enough to bump Gibbs into the, the end of the first round? 
don't think it's out of the I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's out of the question even, but I still see Gibbs as an early day two prospect. Don't think you'll have to wait long if he makes it to day two either. I don't th- I, I don't see him getting out of the 30s and certainly not out of the 40s if he makes it to day two. He's just too damn good for someone not to pick up early. I still think there's a good possibility. I mean, you got KC back there. I know they love Isaiah Pacheco, and honestly, economically, I think they're probably going to stick with Isaiah Pacheco, but I'm sure there's a, a running back needy team there in the back of the first round that could be like, you know what, this is the this is the piece we need to go over the top. So go take a Jameer Gibbs. I would not be shocked at all. Gibbs should be a dynamic year one player in his own right. I think he starts. I think he's very productive and has a good case for being the offensive rookie of the year. If no quarterback has a fantastic year, that's kind of how that that award goes. Up next, got Roshan Johnson, also out of Texas, the running mate with uh, Bijan Robinson at Texas. Wild, wild backfield that they had over at Texas last season. I'd imagine Sark just reloaded with another set of absolute killers. Maybe he doesn't have uh, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Maybe he just has two Roshan Johnsons, though, pretty much. We, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I digress, though. I think Johnson is the one guy whose draft prospects might have taken a slight hit based on his 4 5 8 40 time. And I'm not sure it's really fair considering he had one of the, the faster 10-yard splits at, at 1.52. Very good acceleration, just not the highest top speed at 4.58. Not necessarily what you want going in there. Uh, that tied him with his teammate Bijan Robinson, though, at, at 1.52. That, that's worth mentioning. Uh, I do think a lot of teams are going to bump him down a tad based on that overall number, the 4.58, though. It's not super high, but also, like I said, this is... This is eye candy for the mentally deficient. Some of those teams are going to be like, nope, can't take a 4-5-8 running back and just ignore that 10-yard split altogether. Personally, though, the 10-yard split shows me all I need to know about his acceleration into the hole. Uh, So I would certainly still want him on my team, quite frankly. The speed thing will likely bump him into the second, third, fourth round range. Day two guy, I would imagine, uh, if I had to guess. Make no mistake about it, though. Wherever he gets drafted, I see Johnson getting meaningful carries fairly early and maybe even taking the starting job by the time the season is over. He is a very, very good back. He was just behind a generational-type prospect in Bijan Robinson in that backfield. So I look forward to seeing what he does in the next level. I think he might be even better than he was in college. Up next, we have got my favorite player in this draft, and I've, I've said it since I first saw him. Uh, last season, the season before, Devon A-Chain is a freak. One of the great wild cards in this draft in my mind. He's being projected to go in the second or third right now. But guys, I, I watched this man a lot in college. He was in the SEC West at Texas A&M, and he was the entire team. On a bad offense, he was electric every single time out. This kid is a first-round talent in my mind. I don't give a damn what his size is. He played maybe the toughest slate of defenses every season he was in college and was still a guy that made opponents hold their breath every single time he touched the ball. Ended up running the fastest 40-time among running backs with a blistering 4-3-2. And honestly, 
Watching him play with my own two eyes, I think he actually looks faster in-game. Legit track speed. Low 10-second uh, 100 that he ran at Texas A&M. I could see him sneaking into the back end of the first round or slipping down into the third round. I have no idea if less talent-rich positions start thinning out ahead of him and that there's a rush on those types of guys. He may fall down a little bit. I don't know. Whenever he gets drafted, though, the team that gets him is about to get an explosive player, a big play waiting to happen, dropped right in their building for a very good price. Please draft him, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. I want this guy on my team so bad. I All I want for Christmas is Devon A. Chain on my team. You can you can give away all my other presents. Don't 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 take that too much to heart. I mean, what a, I, I well, you know what, actually, come to think of it. Presents are for children, quite frankly, and I'll tell you why right now. If you become an adult and you have assets at your disposal, you generally, within reason, you just kind of go out and buy the things that you need or or want. Uh, and I, I feel weird asking my parents to buy super expensive stuff. Uh, if it's super expensive, I'll save up and buy it myself. I'm not I'm not putting that on my poor parents. So you get to a certain age, sure, the, the presents are fun. What I really know is that you care, and that's the main thing. Christmas is about the family members. What am I even talking about? Just draft Devon A-Chain, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, rant over. Up next, we got Tank Bigsby, and not really sure Bigsby really dropped at all with his performance, but I really don't think he turned a lot of heads either. Uh, four, five, six in the 40, one, five, six, 10 yard split, 32 and a half inch vertical, 9-11 broad jump, and all of those were below average uh, performances relative to his peers. And only thing he was above average in was bench finishing second with, tied for second with 21 reps, 21 reps in the bench. Um, that pretty much bears out what we saw on the field. I mean, he's jacked out of his mind. Uh, not a whole lot of breakaway speed. Not an athlete that jumps off the screen, but he's a powerful guy with good vision, and he lives up to the name. He is an absolute tank in the hole, and he is a problem to get on the ground. Trust me, again, another guy that's been in the SEC West for his entire career, much to my chagrin, he has... I don't think he's actually absolutely killed... Uh, Mississippi State when he's played, but it's never been fun watching him run against my Bulldogs. It always seems like it is a fight to get him on the ground, and I don't really see him uh, cracking in the first two days, quite frankly, with those measurables, but he could still find himself getting meaningful. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick last year, and, and stories like Isaiah Pacheco happen all the time, I tell you, because it's so economically feasible and easy to find young, uh, fresh legs at running back. So, he could still find himself getting meaningful reps for someone given the economics of the position. But even then, I have a hard time envisioning Tank Bigsby getting control of the backfield like some of his cohort. Day three guy, in my opinion. I, I'm not necessarily too high on Tank Biz, Bigsby. Uh, under the radar, first off, we got Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. I know Charbonnet was in, very, in a very running back friendly system with Chip Kelly. But the production is hard to deny for Charbonnet. After being buried in the Michigan depth chart for two seasons, use that transfer portal. This is the this is the, some of the good stuff that comes out of the transfer portal. Didn't get any playing time at Michigan. Wasn't going to get an opportunity at Michigan. He transfers out of there, goes to UCLA, and what does he do? Two straight thousand yard seasons, uh, racing up 
nearly 2,500 yards uh, on gra- on the ground and 27 rushing touchdowns. Racing, meant to say racking, who's to say? Either way, those are great numbers that he would not have put up if he stayed at Michigan. So that's the good side of the transfer portal. I hope that that needs to be said sometimes here. And he leveraged, or he averaged rather, my words today are hard to come by. A robust seven yards per carry last season showed a high degree of vers- versatility, catching 37 balls out of the backfield as well. That was a college career high, and that's that's showing some teams something, quite frankly. Again, I know it's the Chip Kelly running scheme, so you can't expect everything that you see to be transferred one-to-one at the next level. And it was the Pac-12, which isn't exactly heralded for its defensive prowess, but so long as his measurables were good... He's a day two or, or early day three guy, no question about it. He showed at the combine and and ran a four five three. He had a one five four ten yard split at a thirty seven inch vertical ten two broad jump. All average or slightly above average numbers for a guy who already has shown he can dominate at the college level. To me, I think he gets drafted somewhere in the third to fifth round range and makes a big-time contribution somewhere in year one. Barring injury and situation, that's always the caveat. you got to go, a lot of these times, it's not the prospect that failed. It is the situation that failed him. Sometimes it is the prospect, though. It does go both ways, but oftentimes it's a situation. I digress. Uh, other under-the-radar guys, Tyje Spears. This is a guy that you probably have never heard of. He is at a two-lane. He is a electric factory. This is a name I had not heard of, frankly, and honestly, until he lit up the senior bowl practices but in an an era where you need your running backs to do so much i mean block uh run between the tackles catch out of the backfield call out protections on third down i mean you name it or or help out in protections at the very least maybe the maybe the best route running running back for lack of a better word to use, uh, out of the backfield in the entire draft right now. Intriguing, intriguing, versatile prospect. Didn't run the 40 at the combine, but he's explosive. He's quick, and he put up elite numbers in the vert, 39 inches, and uh, broad jump as well at 10.5, which were good for second and third, respectively, in the class among his cohort. Size is, is about average for a running back, about 5'10", 200 pounds, uh, quick at that size too. I think he is quietly moving up draft boards with what he can do out of the backfield, catching the ball and running routes. And I think he's going to put some linebackers who have to cover him in the spin cycle in the NFL. He's going to make some people look foolish at the next level. That is an invaluable commodity in the modern NFL, especially in these pass-heavy offenses we got right now. Not sure if he makes it into the second or third round, but he's going to be an absolute asset for some team next year, either as an outright starter or a a sticks mover on third down, uh, short and medium situations. He's going to find a role somewhere. I I like Tajay Spears as a prospect in this one. I'm very interested to see where he goes, how they use him next season. And this is one... I did not expect to be adding to the list, but Chase Brown out of Illinois. And given his play style, Chase Brown actually shocked me with his level of athleticism. I I figured just being a big, powerful guy, uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't put up the best athletic measurables. He's just going to be power guy, kind of like Tank Bigsby. I, I, I was expecting a lot like Tank Bigsby sort of numbers from Chase Brown. But, I mean, some of the best athletic measurables he's had or, or anyone had in the entire draft. And... 
he might have been the most impressive one of the bunch, all things considered. Ran a 4-4-3 in the 40. That was fifth, I think, even better than Bijan Robinson. 1-5-3, 10-yard split. That was tied for sixth. 40-inch vertical. That was first. And 10-7 broad jump. That was first as well. Also, four more reps than any other running back with 25 bench reps at the Combine. He had over five yards per carry every single season in college, and despite the insane workload that he received last year at 328 carries, wild numbers there uh, in in an abbreviated amount of games in college too, uh, he had just 348 carries combined in his previous four seasons. So he's got fresher legs than I personally expected. Not to mention he showed some versatility last season, catching 27 balls out of the backfield for a team that usually doesn't throw the ball to running backs uh, in that Brett Bielema system. Coming in, I thought he would be like a day three side of guy, or sort of guy, but now I think he could be a third rounder or better even. I think he probably ends up in the third to fifth round range, but he could easily step into a role as a bell cow for a team very early in his rookie year if he goes to the right spot and gets the right opportunities. Watch out for Chase Brown. He tested much better than I thought he would at the Combine, and he is a bruiser of a back. Good time, not a long time type of guy, uh, but I'm going to have a good time watching him at the next level if he goes to the right spot. All right, and all things considered, we're making good time. Got a couple sections left, but I'm going to try to speed through them real quick because Honestly, I I know less about the, the next uh, couple sections than I, I did mostly about the other ones so far. So, first off, tight ends. Um, Going to get straight into it. Dalton Kincaid out of Utah is kind of the consensus number one guy right now. Uh, didn't do a damn thing at the Combine other than get measured in an interview, but didn't really need to do anything at the Combine either, considering he's the best tight end in the draft right now. He's big, he's a solid route runner, and given that he played for Utah, you know he can block well in the running game. I mean, against USC, I think he had like 16 receptions or something crazy like that. Basically a shoo-in first-round pick in my mind. Not sure how high he ends up going, but I don't see a way that Dalton Kincaid gets to day, day two. He's just too talented not to go in the first round. Uh, next up, we got Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. Wasn't exactly expected, but Michael Mayer uh, did not shine athletically at the Combine. I, maybe even worse than some people expected. He ran a 4-7 in the 40. That was third to last. Uh, a 1-6-6 10-yard split. That was dead last among tight ends. 32.5-inch uh, vertical. That was third to last. And a 9-10 broad jump uh, there as well. I mean, the game tape for Mayer is some of the best out there. I mean, really understands positioning. Maybe not the most athletic guy in the world, but a lot like Jason Jason Witten, just finds space somewhere to get completions. Uh, allows him to win a whole lot of 50-50 balls, but that was also college in a hand-picked schedule for Notre Dame, so I don't know. He still may be a first-round pick based on his all-around technical prowess, but he's going to have to work around his athleticism in a way that most of his cohort will not, and I just think that may cost him in, the, in his draft position when it's all said and done. Early day two guy if he slips to day two. This performance may end up bumping him to day two. Will not have to wait long, though, if he gets there, I would imagine. Up next, we got Luke Musgrave, tight end out of Oregon State. Uh, not a name I was honestly familiar with because he hadn't really done anything last season. Uh, got injured very early and didn't play the rest of the year. But 
the combine, quite honestly, Musgrave really showed out there in Indy. Uh, four six one in the forty. That was fourth among tight ends. One five four split. That was first. Uh, Top of the list of all of them. Uh, 36-inch vertical. That was tied for fourth. And a 10-5 broad jump. That was tied for third at 6'6", I mean, a specimen of an athlete. Only played two games in 2022, but averaged 15.4 yards per catch in those games. Balled out in the limited reps he had, though admittedly very limited. Uh, Musgrave is a gamble with that lack of production, but... Might bump him out of the first round, quite frankly, with that lack of production. He showed he he should be a day two guy, though. Hard for me to say, obviously, but should be a day two guy, and he will probably end up going early on day two at that. Big time athlete, Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. Darnell Washington up next out of the University of Georgia. You know who this guy is if you watched any college football last season. Washington might not be the sexiest uh, pass-catching prospect in the draft, but if you ask me who is the who in the group of tight ends I feel most strongly is going to be a, a 10-plus year uh, stay-in-the-league guy, no question in my mind Dar- Darnell Washington is that guy. He is an enormous human being at 6'7", 264, 11-inch dinner plates for hands, and he is an absolute road grader uh, blocking in the run game. He's the best blocking tight end in the entire draft, and I think once he gets acclimated to the league, could possibly develop into the best blocking tight end in the NFL. He's got that type of potential. Uh, There were coaches saying if he moved to offensive line, they could make him the best left tackle in the draft. That's just how good his feet and his blocking skills are. That's why I think he's such a can't-miss prospect. I mean, whether he becomes a consistent pass-catching threat or not, Washington's blocking ability is going to give him a job for a long time at the next level. Basically, if if he can just do that, he's going to find a spot on a lot of teams doing just that. Uh, at a four six four in the forty, that was six among uh, tight ends. One five seven ten yard split, that was fourth. Didn't light up the world uh, in the the jumps, but first in the short shuttle, fourth in bench at twenty one reps as well. Not sure any of those individually mean anything, but they they show a he has a legit athleticism potential, uh, which is there that the scouts needed to see, I suppose. Again, uh, they they need to see it to believe it, I suppose. So there you have it. Uh, I'm not sure Washington is the type of guy you draft in the first round, just based on. I don't think he's that polished of a route runner, but much like the previous two tight ends I just talked about, he will not have to wait long if he slips the day two help. Wouldn't be shocked if a team liked him enough uh, in his sure-handed blocking to take him in the, in the late in the first round. He is that good of a blocker and that solid of a receiver. He's not great as a receiver, but he is solid, if nothing else. So I like Darnell Washington as a prospect. I think he sticks around the league for a long, long time, uh, barring injury, always the case there. Uh, Sam Laporta up next from Iowa. This is a guy I've had my eye on about all season, pretty much. He comes from a, fa- a fantastic pedigree at Iowa with a tight end position, which in and of itself isn't that noteworthy. It doesn't actually mean anything, but he was the entire offense for Iowa last season. Everyone else on the field looked absolutely miserable in that Iowa offense. I mean, the running back ended up with five yards per carry, so 
good for him. That, that's awesome. But Laporta had 24 more receptions than the next closest receiver and had 259 more receiving yards than them, too. Another stud in the pipeline, Luke Lecce, ended up, uh, gobble, ended up gobbling up a lot of the touchdowns for Laporta. I think Laporta only ended up having one. Lecce only had four, though, so it wasn't a dynamic passing offense over there uh, in Iowa. Uh Laporta and Lechi were essentially the only good things that were consistently going right for Iowa in that offense. Uh, we know he's a good blocker. Otherwise, he wouldn't have seen much action with Iowa uh, in that offense. Only question was the athletic measurables, and he outperformed my personal expectations in that category many times over. I mean, 4.59 in the 40, that was third overall. 35-inch uh, vert and a 10-3 brought... brought ugh, easy for me to say once again. 10-3 broad jump. Both of those, the vertical and the broad jump, outperformed Darnell Washington. Uh, 6-9-1, uh, three-cone drill, that was second. And a uh, 4-2-5 in the shuttle, that was third. Uh, with those measurables and the pass-catching ability that Laporta showed in some less-than-ideal situations, not to mention the Iowa tight end pedigree, do not be shocked if he gets picked night one. Uh, he is a... Very good athletic uh, prospect. He could be a stud in the making here. He, he does have that Iowa pedigree. And I am, at my heart, still kind of a dumb football fan. So that Iowa tight end does mean something. I, I remember you could basically just close your eyes and, and just pick the Iowa tight end. And that guy would be a long-term starter in the NFL for a period there. And it's still, I mean, they still got, you can go over and look at, I mean, Hawkinson, Fant, uh, Kittle, just to name three of them. And there's more that I'm not thinking of. I can assure you of that. There are even, even lower level guys. Like I think Tony Moyaki, a guy that you wouldn't even think of. I think he played in the league for like eight seasons. Uh, very good tight end out of Iowa. But again, I feel very good about Sam Laporta's prospects right now. I'm intrigued to see where he goes and if he does make it in to the first round. Uh, under the radar, guys, first and foremost, a guy I'd never heard of, Zach Kuntz out of Old Dominion. I've got zero clue who this guy is or how he'll do in the league. I heard him on the Pat McAfee show the other day. Seems like an affable guy, easy to interview, fun guy to talk to. Um, but simply put, Zach Kuntz is a freak of nature. Uh, let me lay this out for you. The Old Dominion tight end participated in every single drill, and his worst ranking among his peers was tied for second. He was one in most categories. Let me lay this out for you. He ran a 4.55 in the 40. Uh, that was second by about a hundredth of a second there. Uh, the next guy on this list is the guy that was in front of him. 1.57, 10-yard split. That was tied for second. 40-inch vertical. That was first. 10.8 broad jump. That was first among tight ends. 6.87, three-cone drill. That was first. Uh, 4.12, short shuttle. That was second. And 23 bench reps. Uh, that was first. All first or tied for first, I can't even remember. All while being one of the tallest tight ends in the class at 6'7, 255 pounds. Really only had one noteworthy season in college after transferring from Penn State to Old Dominion. 73 receptions, 692 yards, and five touchdowns in 2021. But the athleticism is just too tantalizing to pass up. If it were me, I'd probably put him in, in a 
uh, as a day two guy with the, the lack of consistent production. But that type of physical tools, that could easily bump, bump Zach Koontz into the first round if a team really feels strongly about him. And there are some teams out there that will look at this performance and feel very strongly about him. I am interested to see what this absolute specimen of a human being, absolute alien, uh, turns into at the next level. If he goes to the right situation, he could be the next Gronk type of uh, of guy out there. I don't know what his blocking ability is, but those athletic me- those athletic measurables are just silly when it's all said. The video game, it's a creative player numbers that Zach Koontz has uh, at the tight end position. Uh, up next, we have got Miami tight end Will Mallory. This is a guy that suffered from turbulence at the offensive coordinator uh, position down at Coral Gables. Didn't really have a whole lot of great years, but all things considered, he acquitted himself well and consistently had high uh, per catch averages, uh, solid production every season he was there. He posted career highs in receiving yards, uh, receptions and yards, excuse me, last season. And was one of the only bright spots in the Josh Gaddis disaster at Miami there. Even so, he's a guy that flew under the radar for me until he showed up at the combine and flat out balled. I mean, wasn't quite on the Zach Koontz level of freakishness, but finished with a 4-5-4-40. First among tight ends, just barely ahead of Zach Koontz. 1-5-9, 10-yard split. That was tied for fifth. 36 and a half inch vertical, that was third. 20 reps on the bench press, that was fifth. And he was 6'4 and a half, 239. Smaller than, than some of the other guys I've highlighted today, but the consistent production in the face of adversity is a promising sign for me. Might not sneak into the first uh, couple rounds, but I have a hard time seeing him slip, slip to day three. I think he might be late on day two, but I think he's a day two type of guy at tight end there. Lots of tight end talent in this draft. I think you, you can't really go wrong with a lot of these guys. Uh, up next, got the offensive line. And look, I'm a level with you here. Just just man to man, man to woman, uh, man to, to they. I don't know. Whatever you identify as, do you. Doesn't, doesn't really affect me much. But look. I'm going to be honest. Uh, in this category, I don't think I can br- provide you all with valuable info on which offensive line prospect will step in and perform immediately. Love me some offensive line play, but bottom line, all, all, most offensive line coaching at the college level is abysmal. I mean, terrible at mo- in most cases. And in the drafting game, it's an inexact science in, in all cases, but it's a legit throw shit at the wall, see what sticks situation uh, in in value in valuing and and drafting offensive line prospects. Unless the athletic ability in game tape is just that off the charts, like a Penne Sewell type, that's that's one that pretty much everyone could see coming out. He was an absolute freak monster, mauling people at Oregon. I'm not sure there's a guy like that in this draft. So, for the sake of all of us. Uh, I'm just going to approach the offensive line lightheartedly and give you some players who I find intriguing, both on and off the field. Um, here comes the meathead brain, uh, all under the radar, guys, here, because I don't know who's good, quite frankly. We got guard Andrew Voorhees out of USC. I, I don't know how good he's going to be, but he's a dog. I mean, tore his ACL uh, in one of the drills. I don't can't remember which, which one, but ended up coming back and killing like his namesake, Jason Voorhees. Don't know how he'll do at the the next level, but this man 
crutched his way over to the bench, had to be helped out of the bench, and with only one leg planted for support uh, on the ground, had four more reps than the next closest offensive lineman at the bench. Not a not a one-to-one translation, but it shows big-time power and the fact that he's not only, not only did he bench, but mopped up all the competition that was around him on a torn ACL. That tells me everything I need to know about Andrew Voorhees' competitive drive. He's a killer. He's a killer, I tell you. Don't know a damn thing about evaluating offensive line play, but the dude has got it between the ears, if nothing else, and he can come on my team, man. We always need offensive guards in the Vikings, so come on over to Minnesota, Voorhees. We need killers in this place. Andrew, not, not Andrew, uh, Ezra Cleveland, he kills people. Come on over and kill people, Andrew Voorhees. Uh, up next, though, got Cody Motch out of North Dakota State. And uh, look, man, the people who who scout off, offensive linemen don't know what they're looking at. So I'm I'm going to sit here and act like I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I do, quite frankly. Uh, that Therefore, I'm talking, I'm taking this opportunity uh, to once again bring to attention the Cody Mock transformation from a 221-pound freshman tight end, just a supple young boy there, uh, to a 303-pound offensive tackle who is missing his two front teeth. That. One of the greatest pictures on the internet. Uh, you can go look that up. North Dakota can turn you from a supple young boy to a giant country boy in just the span of four years. That's the selling point right there. Do you want to turn into a country boy? Go on over to North Dakota. They could turn you into that. Draft him in the first round for the iconic transformation pick alone. That's what I think. Draft Cody Motch in the first round. He's a freak out of North Dakota State. Great hair, great teeth, just a great guy in this draft. Um... Last one I'm going to highlight here in the offensive line, offensive tackle Dewand Jones out of Ohio State. This is the only one I'm kind of serious about. Other ones I'm just kind of, you know, going through the uh, my, the dumb reaches of my mind here. But either he's going to become one of the best run blockers in the league or he's going to be a big old bust. But God Damn, is this dude big. At the Combine, he measured 6'8", 374. He was dead last in the 10-yard split, which is the only thing that matters, but damn it, you don't have to be too, you don't have to be too fast uh, to be absolutely mauling people on the line of scrimmage, and he can do that at 6'8", 374. Just ask Orlando Brown. Um, there was another big guy whose name is escaping me, Trent Brown. Ask him as well. Not sure if or or where he ends up playing uh, along the offensive line, but I love watching massive human beings pulverize people. So I selfishly hope he succeeds at the next level so I can see some game tape of him just taking the soul from defensive linemen, uh, those poor, poor defensive backs, and anyone that happens to be unlucky enough to get in front of him. Dewan Jones, a guy that I'm interested to see what ends up happening with him. But... With that, we have gotten to the end of the offensive skill positions. We're bumping up to an hour and a half. Not quite two hours, though, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. We're not out of the woods yet, though. Let's get this thing going. We got the Al Davis team on offense. And, yeah, the scope of this one just kind of got out of control, crept out of control at all levels. So... I'm doing the all Al Davis team a little bit differently this time. 
I'll give the offensive players this week, then I'll hit the defense on Tuesday, like I said at the top of the show. Uh, We'll do part two uh, to recap the combine next week. So, with that said, let's get into the offensive players that would make Al Davis hot under the collar if he was still around, and I'm sure he's trying to resurrect those old bones to draft these guys right now. First off... Who else would be there? Anthony Richardson, where the hell else would we start? If Al Davis was still around, he would trade the entire franchise to get up to number one so he could draft Anthony Richardson number one overall. He set the combine record, again, just to reiterate, for a quarterback in the broad jump and the vertical. He ran a blistering 4-4-3 in the 40, which fell just a shade behind RG3, who ran a 4-4-1 back in the day for the third fastest time uh, by a quarterback ever at the Combine, I could not think of a more deserving member of the All-Al Davis team this year than Anthony Richardson. Freak athlete at quarterback. He is the quarterback on the All-Al Davis offense. At running back, my favorite guy in this entire draft, Devon A-Chain. You will hear a lot about BJ. BJ yeah, BJ. Well, you'll hear a lot about Bijan Robinson. You'll hear a lot about Jameer Gibbs. But don't forget that Devon A-Chain was the fastest running back in this draft. Ran a 4-3-2, and I think he looked even faster on the field. If Al Davis was around... Devon A-Chain would be locked into the first round on his draft board. No question about it. Dude is a big play waiting to happen, and that's why he's on this list right here. Up next at wide receiver, we have got the West Virginia guy, Bryce Ford Wheaton. Production be damned, this guy's athletic measurables would have enticed Al Davis every single time elite speed at 438 in the 40 and big time jump ball potential at 64 with a 41 inch vertical absolute athletic freak which is precisely why he's right here on this list megatron type numbers at the combine maybe not quite as 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 big as him weight wise but I mean, that 4.38 and the 40 at 6.4 and a 41-inch vertical, you can't do a whole lot better than that. That's why he's on this list. Absolute athletic freak. And speaking of athletic freaks, just gushed about him there in the tight end section, but Zach Kuntz out of Old Dominion, what an absolute freak show this kid is. 6.7 and top three in every single drew. Top two in every single drill at the combine. That included a 40-inch vertical that was first. A 10-8 broad jump that was first. 6-8-7 cone drill, that three-cone drill that was first. 23 reps on the bench, which tied him for first among tight ends. Oh, and the guy he tied with with in bench was three inches shorter with nearly three-inch shorter arms, i.e. Kuntz's 23 reps was more impressive in my eyes on the bench. Al Davis's old bones are probably stirring in the grave right now, calling out to Mark Davis and his weird bald head now, saying, resurrect me so I can come back, reconstitute into a livable body, just to tell Mark Davis to draft this man. Absolute freak show. No-brainer for this list on the Al Davis team. Zach Koontz, tight end out of Old Dominion. Another wide receiver I'm adding to this list Quentin Johnston. We didn't see Johnston run the 40, but trust me, I've watched this massive, huge man take a jet sweep and outrun everyone to the edge. Defensive backs, linebackers, linemen, all of them just all the way down the field for a touchdown. And 
I mean, take it for a house call in a playoff game at that. I think he did that against Michigan. The dude's got jets. He can run. He can fly. Not to mention he's got a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical and an 11-2 broad jump at 6-3. He's an athletic freak in just about every sense, and that's why he gets the nod here uh, for the Al Davis team. And uh, at offensive tackle, only offensive lineman on the list because I don't know a damn thing about offensive linemen. I am putting offensive tackle Blake Freeland out of BYU. And I'll tell you what, a love for Jesus and a in the thin air in Utah bred an absolute freak in Provo with this guy. 6'8", 302 pounds, ran a 4'9", in the 40. That was tied for second. 1.6, 10-yard split. That was first among uh, offensive linemen. 37-inch vertical, that was first by 2.5 inches. 10-foot, or yeah, 10-foot broad jump, put 10 inches there, that wasn't right. Uh, That was first among uh, offensive tackles, or offensive linemen in general, rather, excuse me. And a 7-4-6-3 cone drill, that placed him fourth among offensive tackles. His arms might be a little too short to play tackle at the next level, but that's the last thing on my mind when picking this team. I'm talking freakish athletes, and Blake Freeland is one of them. He's a freak athlete in this offensive line class by a good margin, and the freakiest of athletes, I would say, by a good margin. That's what gives him the nod for the All-Dal Davis team, in my mind. Big, fast athletes, that's what Blake Freeland is out of BYU. Also, late ad here, running back Chase Brown out of Illinois. This is a guy that I didn't expect to measure as well as he did, but quietly, quietly he might have had the most impressive all-around performance of any running back this year. 4-4-3 in the 40. 1-5-3 split in the 10-yard split. 40-inch vertical, that was first. 10-7 broad jump, that was also first. And he smoked the competition in bench at 25 reps. Like I said before, four more than any other running back in this class, including Tank Bigsby. He's fast, he's powerful, he's explosive. He'd, He'd be a raider if Al Davis had anything to say about it. And that's why I've included him here in this list. I could drone on and on and on about different athletic freaks in this draft, but in the interest of not making this a three-hour-long podcast, I will leave it with those seven names right now. Congrats to the 2023 All-Al Davis team on offense. You are the cream of the crop. Freak athletes on your side of the ball may not lead to success, but it certainly would have caught the old man's eye if he were still around dragging his bag of bones from place to place. I am sure if Mark Davis were here, he'd be putting him right on life support and and keeping that dead hunk of bones alive and with a pulse for at least as long as he can, at least what he's doing with his mother right now. So that took a dark turn, but all right, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed... Uh, you probably enjoyed up until that last point. That got dark real quick. Uh, leave a five-star rating. Subscribe so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, take that opinion to the grave. Tell people you loved it anyways. No no harm in, in lying a little bit sometimes. We all lie a little bit. Uh, I release two episodes a week, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday during the off-season. There's a really no telling what I'll get into in either episode as well. So could be good, could be terrible. Tune in to find out, I guess. Uh, follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line uh, so you can be categorized accordingly. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. And you know what? 
hasn't happened for a while, but I apologize. I um I didn't I didn't learn anything last week. No no one thing I learned last week because I forgot to put it there and I don't have any uh backup facts on my phone. So sorry about that. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Uh hope good sports happen. Hope some good stuff happens in free agency. We'll talk about it all on Tuesday. Deuces.